Welcome to the Clay Young Show. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Clay Young here with you for another great conversation. Our guest today is a sitting member and outgoing member of the Baton Rouge City Council, the Metro Council, as we call it around these parts. It's Joel Bowie. We have a great conversation about politics. We talk a little bit about some of what's going on in society and just kind of the difference between generations. We also talk about race. It's a really good, uh, good conversation. I think you guys will enjoy. We begin with our reflections as we recorded that interview on the shootings last Sunday in Baton Rouge, depending on where you, when you're listening to this it might have been longer ago, but this week, last weekend was nice on Saturday. Sunday was marred by a couple of stories, one in Baton Rouge involving a couple of young ladies who got caught literally in the crossfire between some folks here in Baton Rouge and then the NFL player, retired NFL player, Will Smith, who played for the Saints, who was killed over the weekend and a road rage incident that apparently is more than just road rage. So just crazy. Some of the stuff happening in society right now just makes you shake your head. And it's the reason so few people pay attention to the news, because generally when you watch it, it's mostly bad. So we talk a little bit about some of that. But here, let's begin with something that's positive. The 2016 Smoke em If You Got em fundraiser is taking place Sunday, May 15th. At 5 p.m. at Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row, that's in Baton Rouge. Right now, you can buy tickets online at the person or the organization being benefited by the event. I guess I should tell you that. That's the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, named in honor of Chris Kyle. So many people know about him from the movie American Sniper. Uh, Last week, I got a chance to do a few interviews his uh, widow, Taya Kyle, and I did talking about the event. It's $100 per person to get into the event. 100% of the money benefits and goes to the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. Their web address is chriskylefrogfoundation.org. chriskylefrogfoundation.org. You can buy tickets there for the event. The sponsors are numerous, and I'm going to name them all. The organizations involved with putting on this year's Smoke Em If You Got Em. Our title sponsor for the second year in a row is Orion Instruments. Don Sanders and his team were there last year. They had such a great time. He told me as he was leaving last year's Smoke Em that he definitely wanted to do it again this year. And we made that happen. So he's our title sponsor again this year in association with Ben 77, our host venue for the past two years. And this year as well, Brian Dykes, his team over there have been amazing to me. By the way, if you're in Baton Rouge, it's a great place to buy a steak. Speaking of a great place to buy a steak, my buddy Scott Overby at Doe's. He's involved as well. I'll get back to Scotty in just a moment. Uh, Jameson is going to be involved. That's Jameson Whiskey, for those of you keeping score. They provided libations last year for the event for tasting, and they're going to do it again this year. 
pest stop do-it-yourself pest control. My buddy John Conroy is going to be involved. He is, along with my company, CYE, Clay Young Enterprises, we're going to be sponsoring the hats this year. We did t-shirts the last couple of years. T-shirts are okay, but I mean, we're all adults, and generally speaking, we don't really wear t-shirts out and about. So this year, we're doing caps. Caps that you can wear moving around the town, out on the links, or working in the yard or whatever. So you'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. Uh, Don Juan Cigar Company is providing cigars in association with CLE Cigar Company. We're doing a custom smoke'em cigar for this event. Now listen, if you're not a cigar smoker, that's fine too. You're certainly welcome. This event is really not about smoking cigars. That's one thing that we do there. It's really more about giving back to an organization that helps military veterans and first responders. The family of stations at Guarantee Broadcasting in Baton Rouge, chief among those, Eagle 98.1, The Rock Station, and Talk 107.3, their FM talker here in the capital city. Patriots for Freedom, that's an organization created by yours truly, Scott Overby and Frank Gumpert. Who did I leave out? Anybody? Let's see. Don Juan, Jameson, Doe's, CLE, Guarantee, Pest Stop. I think I got everybody. And of course, again, we thank our title sponsor, Orion Instruments. Now, you can buy tickets at the event or you can go online to ChrisKyleFrogFoundation.org or PatriotsForFreedom.us. PatriotsForFreedom.us. Again, the tickets are $100 per person, and I hope to see you there. We've done two of these, hoping to make the third one the biggest one yet, and we've got a plan for the weather, because for those of you who know Louisiana weather, it's unpredictable. But that's okay. We got something for that, too. So hopefully I will get a chance to see you there at the third annual Smoke 'em If You Got 'em fundraiser this year, benefiting the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, serving military veterans and first responders. It is our it's our honor to help this great organization. All right, up next, Joel Bowie talking about politics, society, and just really a good conversation. And you will hear that next podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand if you've wanted your own podcast the time to call us is now this year podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them you won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing if you'd like to know more call 225-214-1550 that's 225-214-1550 be a part of the on-demand audio movement today This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with Joel Bowie, outgoing District 9 Metro Council member in Baton Rouge. What's going on, bud? Good. How are you doing today, Clay? Well, as we sit and record this, it's Monday, so uh, get with me in about uh, eight hours and I'll let you know. (laughs) Sounds good. So as we sit to record this, we'll talk about a lot of what's happening in the city Uh, in Baton Rouge specifically, but over the weekend, again, as we record this, a former Saints football player was gunned down in New Orleans after dinner with his family, and I think the family of Pierre Thomas, and Pierre Thomas was there, and a New Orleans police officer. Got up yesterday, 
uh, I guess six six thirty, and you, you get the alerts and you're seeing what's going on. And I, all I could do was shake my head. First of all, it's jarring to think of this man leaving behind a wife and I think three kids, and he's only thirty four. Right. Snuffed out behind what initially seemed like an inc- an incident of road rage, but we're starting to learn a little bit more about that. What was your reaction to hearing about this shooting? I, I heard it yesterday or Sunday morning mm-hmm. uh, whenever I woke up as well, and it seemed awfully strange and odd. Um, also very disappointing to see that somebody of that age, regardless of uh, what position they are in the city right. of New Orleans, right. uh, but to leave around, uh, you know, leave behind a wife and three kids and, in fact, his wife was shot a couple of times as well. Yeah. She's recovering yeah, physically she on her own. Yeah, um, a couple of times in the leg. Yeah, it just seems awfully odd that, and very suspicious that you have a, or an accident, a vehicle accident, that turns into a murder. It's well, disappointing. It is disappointing. But what was so interesting about this guy, and I won't call his name, but this guy was, he had sued the city over the shooting of his father 11 years ago. I remembered seeing the video of this man who seemed to either be uh, someone with mental issues or hopped up on something. I, I, rem- I saw the video again this morning and I remembered that and he was shot by police officers. And so one of the officers named in the suit was the guy having dinner with uh, Will Smith and Pierre Thomas on Saturday night. So as the story goes, there's a fender bender. Smith and this guy have an altercation. He shoots Will Smith, shoots him to death. And I don't know if his wife caught collateral fire or if he was shooting at her as well, but she got two shots in the leg. Then the guy waits. He sits in his car and waits on the police to get there, gives himself up, gives them the gun. It's just odd. Yeah. Odd is the best way to explain it. I'm sure we'll see over the next few days. As the story progresses, but I'm sure there's more to the story than just a no question. Well, and and by the time people hear this, that information may have already come out. But it is another in a long line of killings in that city. Completely senseless and not that there would be any murder or killing that would be right. Sensical, but just time and time again, we see it not only in New Orleans, but also in Baton Rouge. Yeah, we see it over and over again. In fact, perfect segue because. Within an hour of the Will Smith story breaking statewide, regionally, and then nationally by lunchtime, national news outlets and, and of course, ESPN, they were all talking about it. We learned about two college students who were shot in an apartment complex near LSU. They were both Southern students, but staying out near LSU's campus. Apparently now we've learned that they got caught in the crossways of a gunfight between two sides. They got caught in the middle. They weren't the targets. They just ended up being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Young women, I think one was 19 and maybe the other was 24. They were both young, college age. And again, that too is another in a consistently growing line of murders in this town. And like you said, it's senseless. So... I had a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine who actually is a pastor of a church here. He's, he's, he's a down-to-earth guy. He is disciplined in what he does, and that's one of the reasons I respect him. He's not one of these guys who's a preacher on Sunday 
and then an a-hole every other day of the week. He's, he's you know, he, he is a minister. And our conversation yesterday was about this. And I said, you know, what do you do? Because there have been press conferences and statements made by politicians, marches through neighborhoods. I mean, anything you can imagine, it's probably happened here. But what do you actually do that's going to get a result? I don't care how many press conferences you have, how many marches you have. That's not going to solve the issue. It'll raise awareness. Right. But until you have a mother and a father at home that's popping their kids in the head and telling them, hey, this is how you act. This is how you grow up to be a a respectful young man. Yeah. It's not going to change. So then I agree with you. That being the case, we can't unring a bell that's ringing like crazy. And that is people, you know, children being born in broken houses and parents not engaging their kids. Two days before this shooting, it's all over the news here that some young woman takes her toddler to a Walmart in town, leaves him in the store so that she may go out, get in the car with somebody to go have sex. This kid is unable to say anything. I can't imagine how traumatized this kid is, probably going around the store wondering where his mommy is. I believe he's five years old. Five years old. So he, people are trying to get him to communicate. But just imagine for those of you who are parents, like we are, your five-year-old, or if your kid, when they were five, looking for you, the, the, how traumatized the kid is. So that goes back to your point. But that being said, Joel, I don't know that we can fix that, man. So then what do we do if if the only option is making people give a crap? We're screwed. Right. You you and I give a crap. Yeah, we do. And lots of people listening do. But for all those out there who don't, what do you do, man? Right. Well, you know, Chief Davity and and the Baton Rouge Police Department and and also Sheriff Gotro Mm -hmm. has done a great job of community policing and trying to go into those areas to to touch those one and two people, those one and two kids at a time. And it's worked, but you're only it's the tip of the iceberg. You're barely tapping into the the totality of the problem. I don't know. You know, I was uh, I was asked to speak to some kids at the Brave facility on Government Street here in Baton Rouge. There's like this the old, I think, school for uh, the deaf on on government. It's school uh, for the blind, school for the visually impaired. That's right. So they are using the facility as they have classrooms there and they bring kids in. And they do all of these great exercise things with them. They talk with them. They, they play basketball with them. And so a few weeks ago, I went to speak to some kids there. And man, a room full of kids that all feel like they've been, <clears throat> excuse me, thrown away. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's jarring to see young men who just are going to have to fight to not become a statistic. That's just the truth. Right. Some people will say, oh, that's being pessimistic. No, that's being realistic. They're going to have to fight to not be statistics. Now, some of them in the room, when you hear some of the things that these kids want to do, a couple of them wanted to be engineers. Uh, One wanted to be an architect. One wanted to be a chef. Okay. Which was so fascinating. And he's, he's always wanted to do it. 
and just talking with them and hearing, and there was only one in the room who wanted to be a rapper, which was surprising. Uh, a couple wanted to be ball players, but you can tell that whatever sport they're into, like uh, one one of the kids plays football, young men played football, but you can tell he's 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 a very fit, solid, made out of granite young man. And I think we just need to encourage them to want to be something positive. Doesn't matter what goes in that blank. Right. Whether you're a chef, whether you're an engineer, whether Absolutely. you're a welder, it really doesn't matter as long as you're aspiring to do something with your life. So I asked them, I said, um, what do you think the one thing you need to have to be successful is? And so they're going around the room and well, one of the facilitators, even the ladies asking, you know, she throws something in and none of them, they're, they're trying to come up with heavy uh, <laughs> intellectual answers that I'm shooting them all down. And I said, it doesn't really matter where you come from. It doesn't really matter how much of an advantage or disadvantage you've had in life. In my opinion, the thing that consistently has been proven to be true is to become successful at whatever venue of life you choose to undertake. You have to have a work ethic. That's it. That's right. You have to have a work ethic. And there are several accoutrements of success that people can have and talk about along the way. But if you are not willing to work your butt off, it's going to be hard. And most people aren't born with a work ethic. No. Most kids have to no. learn it. You have, have to, to learn taught. a work ethic. Right. You can be naturally smart we've known people and you know sat in classrooms in some classes that you have to really apply yourself at and some kid could stumble in and half pay attention and ace the class that's a natural thing but that's that's the exception in life that's the exception in life most of the rest of us have to work hard and that's what i wanted to convey to these kids doesn't matter how what you look like because all that stuff after a period of time washes away you have to be able to work as hard as hell and if you don't have one, you need to learn to get one. That's right. And I tell them, athletes that you guys look at on television, you see them on game night. You don't see the practices, the weight training, the diet, the film study. That's what it takes. You have to have a work ethic. And that's right. The preparation and the, the practice that goes into that ball game. You see them on a, two hours on TV right. in a basketball game. But they were there at the, at the gym no seven, question. eight, nine, ten hours before that no watching question. film, practicing, no working question. with the coaches, studying. It takes time. It takes it, effort. You know, you've run for office now a couple times, run for the council seat that you have, ran for it, ran for re-election, and you know the work that goes into that. Uh, it's, it's the same with anything in life. You have to have a plan to work hard. And I think we sometimes fail our kids when we don't teach them that. And a lot of these young men we see on the streets are void of work ethic. Not all of them. But working hard is foreign to a lot of them. That's right. Now, that's something we better fix or we're really going to be screwed. It's funny you're talking about that because Saturday morning, my nine-year-old son and I had a, had a lesson on work ethic. Mm. It had to do with him and the lawnmower. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good story. Okay. No, but he's, he's learning the yeah. value yeah. of work and yeah. the fact that it takes work. And, you know, dad is not going to do everything for you. Mom's nope. not going to do everything for you. Nope. And I want him to grow up to be a nice, respectable young man. 
and his younger brothers and sisters are going to watch him, mm-hmm. and they're going to learn from him as well. So he's, he's learning. He hasn't figured it out just yet, but he's but going to he figure will. it out soon enough. And there are always motivational tactics a dad can use to get your attention if you don't want to pay attention. The, the lawnmower is just the beginning. <laughs> the, the lawnmower is just the beginning. I can think of many, many things that are much so, worse. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can. Yes, yes. And I'm sure my kids could add to that list as well. It's well, just things that I did as an eight and a nine-year-old and taught me a valuable life lesson. Yes, indeed, man. It's just part of life. You need to learn how to work hard. Man, I had my battles with lawnmowers and having to do all of that, man. And you know, there was no maid coming around to clean up my room or anything like that, man. You had to do it. And That's you were right. made to understand doing it was the only option there was. Right. This wasn't multiple choice unless all three were do it, do it, and well, maybe do it now. <laughs> but that's about it. Do it now or else. Do it now or else. So going back to where we, we started with what's leading to all of this violence and people say it's the guns. And the one thing, and I'm pro-gun, I'm a gun owner, but what I will say is... I do think people with mental illness should not have access to guns, but that is a murkier subject than just what I said. I mean, you can make that statement, but how do you know? Right. Right. So if someone has not had any history of mental illness, but they flip out, how do you know? Yeah, it could be a single life event that pushes them over the edge. Right. You you never know until it happens in a lot of cases. It's, it's, It's a shame, but sitting on the council, what's your... What is your impression or your reaction to things, even though technically you represent only a part of the city, but, you know, you and I have been friends for a while. I know you see your service to all of Baton Rouge. So how do you feel when you either pick up the paper or turn on one of the evening news programs and see another young man or young woman has been gunned down in such a ridiculous and senseless way? Yeah, even though we're elected by the district that I represent, I mean, we're, we serve on the council for the entire parish right? and, and have great concerns about the entire parish. And mm-hmm. even though District 9 that I serve, we don't see the volume of violence uh, that some other parts of the city see, mm-hmm. but we see it on occasion. Right. But what happens in other districts is very, it, well, not very, it's extremely important mm-hmm. uh, to the city of Baton Rouge and the parish as a whole. And it's unfortunate when you open the newspaper or you, you see it online or mm-hmm. you see the news uh, on TV and you see, and not, not that, and I said this earlier, not that there's any murder or homicide that makes sense. Right. But you see things that are completely senseless. Right. Uh, that have no, no rhyme or reason. I mean, obviously, the perpetrators gave no thought to no. what the heck they're doing. They're, nope. they're just acting. I, I don't know what, what they're acting out of. Uh, but it's disappointing where you have young ladies caught in the crossfire. Um, it's just a shame, Yeah, man. it is. It is. Never getting a chance to actually know life. You and I both know at 2020, you don't really start to hit your stride in terms of understanding adulthood until you're almost about 30 anyway. I would agree. And as as a late teen, a 20, early 20, I mean... There's so much that's wonderful ahead of you that these kids will never now get to experience. Right. That's a shame. It is. And it was stolen directly from them. And I don't know, I don't know what to do about that. I, and I'm sincerely at a loss about it. Not that it's my responsibility to fix it, but because I do live here and I do care about what happens here, I would love to know what you do. And you can lock up 
criminals. You can lock up people who will shoot other people. And you and I encourage you to lock up murderers. I murderers. I, I and you know, encourage that. But that alone is not an answer. Right. But I, so I don't know what else is the answer. I don't know if there is a good answer out there. There's no silver bullet. Yeah. That's going to that's going to solve the issue. Yeah. Uh, the Brave program is a good example of taking children one by one. Right. And that at this point, that's probably the best that you can do is you know, if you can affect one, two, three people. Let's say you bring one of those young men or young women out of a bad place mm-hmm. and they grow up to be successful. Mm-hmm. The impact that those individuals will have on multiple other people, it just continues to grow and grow. I it's agree. not going to be solved in a five year. No. This is a generational it issue. It is a generational issue, but it's a generational issue that I think, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but it's a general generational issue that I think has been handicapped by the subject of race. I agree. And I believe you should care about people regardless of their skin color. That's the way I view the world. Mm-hmm. It's the truth. I don't view people as good or bad based upon their skin color. I know some a-holes that are white. I know some a-holes that are black. I know some racists that are white. I know some racists that are black. But those facts as they exist don't indict groups of people based upon individual actions. That's how I I look at it and how I try to look at it every day. And if we want to help all of us in this town have to give give a darn about fixing this is that fair no that's very fair and I, I think as a as a parish we've digressed and not just as a parish but it's been across the nation no over question. the last 18 months no question things have gone in the wrong direction from a racial perspective that's exactly right and, and certain arguments or discussions that we should be having are being misconstrued no question um, and, and we're losing focus of the main issues which is and when it comes to these kids it should be about helping them Right. It should be. And and I don't mean help them by creating a program that pacifies or uh, keeps them busy. I think until you can expose young men specifically and kids in general, but young black men who are the ones who are perpetrating most of this violence, exposing them to something different. Let me tell you about these this thing I've done with Brave now for the last couple of years. Uh, Hiller, uh, Hiller Moore, the district attorney, has had me come in and they bring in young men who are targets of the Brave program who are either on the fringe of being arrested because of their activities or, or they bring in two, three, four who are already in irons, orange and irons, as I like to say, the orange jumpsuit and then the shackles. And they give these young men three options. They tell them, we know who you are. We know what you're doing. We know where you are. You can leave out of here and continue to do what you've been doing and we'll catch you and we'll lock you up. And while we are in the courtroom, they show a video of all of the names of groups in town and faces of young men who are going to do 30, you know, 50 years in prison behind something. The second option is you can leave out of here and stop and we'll clean the slate we, we will give you a reset. You go away. You stop the violence. We'll let you we'll let you move. But we want you to know we know who you are. The third option is not only do we want you to stop, we'll get you help. If you've got a drug issue, we will give you drug rehabilitation for free. 
of course, for free. Uh, if you don't have a job, we will help you with job placement because there are companies that are a part of the program that will at least give you an opportunity to get some entry level something somewhere. If you haven't graduated high school, we will help you get a GED, which is an equivalent diploma for people who haven't finished high school, all for free. I would say only about a quarter of the young men who's, who have come through there have taken advantage of that. That's a shame. It is Be- a shame. Because they're, you know, maybe they had not been given options in the past, but even if this was the first time, they were given three options. Mm-hmm. And they've been given help as well, or right. the opportunity to receive help. And if they make a conscious decision to go back to, the, to, to whatever they were doing, they know what the consequence is. But fortunately, there have been some right. that yes. have raised their hand, yes. and they've taken that option C, if you will, yeah. and have accepted the help and are doing great things. I see mothers in the room with some of these boys crying, okay, almost nudging these boys to get them to take advantage of this. And unless we can make these kids fall in love with hope, it's going to be hard. Now, some people may say, oh, that sounds campy or that doesn't sound realistic. Let me tell you something. We've all been kids and we've all said at some point we wanted to do something and we knew the work it required to do it and we committed to the work and we accomplished it because we had hope that we could do that. You wanted to be a council member. Uh, you knew you could serve. I remembered meeting with you. This wasn't pie in the sky. Look at me. You're not that kind of guy. It was, I believe I can serve this district. And if you recall, I, I, after our meeting that day, I supported you because it was all about the job. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how we catch these kids and make them fall in love with being something positive. And I wish I had the answer. I'd give it away. It, was, it wouldn't be one of these things I'd bottle it and sell it. I really would. Because if we don't affect these kids in a positive way, they're going to continue to kill one another. And many people, innocent people, can be caught in the crosshairs uh, like these two little girls last. I say little girls, young women last week. Right. You got to catch them early. Give them a way out. And they're having those options given to them. And hopefully more of them will take advantage of it here in the near future. What do you think about the racial aspect of what's going on, specifically in, in North Baton Rouge? I know that you uh, are volunteer and you, you've been a part of lots of things in this city. You're not just an elected official. You're, you're a husband and father and somebody who cares about Baton Rouge. But as a white guy, do you ever get offended when the when the statement is made that if Baton Rouge is going to be fixed, it's an, it's only a black person issue? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's frustrating to hear that. I was born and raised in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. I grew up in what is called, considered North Baton Rouge. Right. You know, right. we, friends and I, we hung out at Cortana Mall and hung out at even Bon Marche yeah. Mall before it turned into what it is today. Right. So, you know, having grown up in North Baton Rouge, um, still living in Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. as I consider it, mm-hmm. not very far from North Baton mm-hmm. Rouge, it, it's disheartening to hear that the conversation has gone the way that it has and that it's becoming racially divided. It's not a racial issue at all. You know, it's, you know, we have one faction against the other. Is it north of Florida Boulevard and south of Florida Boulevard right. is now where we've drawn that line of demarcation, which is, is not the right way to go about doing this. I agree. What do we do about that? I mean, you and me sit and talk and we've had so many conversations and about things. And I, I, 
you just wish you could put that on the shelf to actually fix what's broken. Right. Because I do agree with the statement that as we want all of Baton Rouge to thrive and be successful. Well, I think I've told you this before. We're only as strong as our weakest link. That's right. Right? That's right. So if our weakest link happens to be in South Baton Rouge or North Baton Rouge, who the hell cares where it's at? Let's let's try to fix it and make it better. And I think that's where we're at at this point is that, yeah, we have some issues in North Baton Rouge that need to be addressed. I agree. We have some in South Baton Rouge that need to be addressed. Absolutely. I mean, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. Whether it's infrastructure, whether it's crime, whether it's education, Mm -hmm. you know, all those hot topics um, are all topics that need to be addressed. Paris, why? What do you think about the issue of not having an ER in North Baton Rouge? I look at it from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. The Baton Rouge General was losing a ton of money. I think two million a month. Two million a month. Mm -hmm. They're not being subsidized by the state, by the city, by the federal government. Yeah. How can you expect any business no, that was to continue happen. to operate? Realistically, there was no way they were going to be able to. In fact, they, and they kept there, it up longer. Than, they stayed yeah. there way, yeah. way too long. Yeah. They took yeah. it on the chin yeah. way too long. Yeah. And they made a tough decision, a yeah. financial decision, to close the ER. Yeah. And I think for the sustainability of their current hospital that they had, mm-hmm. they had to stop the bleeding from an ER perspective. Now, to, to put things in perspective, my dad had a heart attack at 44. Oh, he wow. worked at LSU. And he was brought to Mid-City General. I Mm -hmm. remember that vividly 25 years ago, whenever it was. Um, So there is an issue with an ER, with urgent care, that needs to be resolved. Absolutely. The state capital. We probably had the biggest concentration of of employees working downtown between state employees and other private sector employees. Yeah. That there needs to be an option for critical care health in that area. So... I don't believe, and I've said it on the record, that a hospital is going to be built there. And it isn't because if you if you had all the money to do anything you want to do uh, over there, I still don't know because there's a clinic there now. But I think there needs to be an ER facility in North Baton Rouge because you do put people in peril having to make the choice of going to either Lane and Zachary, Lane Memorial and Zachary, or the lake on uh, Essen Lane in Baton Rouge depending on how the traffic is putting an e a standalone er there i just i just think it's the it's a no-brainer but the question that immediately chases that is how do you pay for it but <laughs> i think you have to be with private dollars no it, it won't be with private dollars it won't happen but i think that's the question lawmakers have to make and here's here is something i'll throw at you being an elected official and you know how trends work because you're also a businessman when Earl K. Long was closed, and we all knew, those of us in the city, that they had to close that facility because it was literally falling apart and falling down on people. Uh, and not to mention the asbestos and all. Of, it was just, it just was an eyesore that needed to go. There, and there was a decision to invest in a clinic, not a standalone ER, even though we know that one of the biggest services Earl K. Long provided was ER service to people who use the ER like a clinic. Where was the forethought? The reality was there. It wasn't like you, God, I didn't know that was going to happen. Where was the forethought to say, maybe we ought to consider that. And by the way, knowing the position the general at, at Mid-City was in, where was the forethought? Right. 
you know, from what I understand, that clinic is somewhere between a walk-in clinic for your, your normal coughs, sniffles, sneezes, mm-hmm. and an ER. So it's somewhere in between. Yeah. It's, it's a little more advanced than normal urgent care. Sure. Uh, but not quite where an ER needs to right, be at. But right. I agree from a forethought perspective, evidently that thought didn't happen. And I because, don't get it. You know, nobody raised the question. And maybe they did raise the question. We just didn't hear the answer. What's going to happen when you have a critical care case? Here's the only here's my only throwback to you on that about maybe they raised the question and we didn't hear the answer. You and I both know if one of those politicians up there had been asking about it, then they'd be telling everybody about it right now. That's a great and point. No one has said that they've asked that question. Right. If they had been asking it back then, someone now would be saying I was asking this or showing documents or tape from the news media saying here's when I was asking about it. No one's done that. That's true. That's a good point, because that would have been brought up. By no now. question about it. Stephen Moray was one, running BRAC at the time, and he and I talked about it, and I knew the deal was done. And the, the question is, <laughs> so you expect people to change a thought pattern of what an ER is, which is an incorrect thought in most cases, and you expect them to do it overnight? Without any preparation. Without any preparation. So now the drastic move has to be made and the politicians are a little nervous because it could mean that tough. Somebody's going to have to say who's an elected official in that part of the city. We're not going to have a hospital here anytime soon. Right. It's not going to happen anytime soon. In fact, I'd be surprised if a hospital happens at, at all. all. Right. At all. Maybe a standalone ER. Right. Um, but I, I think the people deserve at least a standalone ER. No, I agree. I, I think whenever you have, and if you put, put yourself in the perspective, if it's you mm-hmm. or a close family member, mm-hmm. and minutes count, and minutes do count. Minutes do minutes count. Minutes do count. Yeah. In most situations, yeah. you, can, you can spend an extra five or ten minutes to go to the lake or Doshner or, right. or somewhere else. But in the, that 1% of cases where minutes count, it's going to happen at some point. There's going to be a big lawsuit at some point if someone dies. Right. Because they're caught in traffic or there was some impacting issue with trying to travel all the way to Lane or to Essen. There's going to be a lawsuit. We live in a very litigious society, and I'm sure some attorney is already licking his chops. And unfortunately, not that I would root for this, but is waiting on an opportunity to sue the state over this. We'll sue the state, the city, the federal government. It's going to happen. The general, everybody in between to prove a point. It's going to happen. And here's what's sad. Shouldn't take something like that to make people actually put something realistic on paper. Well, I think the Lady of the Lake and the, and the healthcare community is beginning to have that conversation to see what they can do mm-hmm. um, to where they're not financially losing money right. on a monthly basis, but still providing the level of care that, first of all, takes care of the people in the area, mm-hmm. first and foremost, to where they have medical um, facilities right. that can tend to them in their family whenever they need it, and trying to come up with something that makes sense across the board. Right, right. Let's change gears and talk a little bit about infrastructure because I want to take some time to talk with you about that. I've had John Delgado, who's a colleague of yours on the Metro Council, who's a candidate for mayor. I've actually had a conversation with Sharon Broom, who officially announced, even though it was out there, she officially announced a few days ago her candidacy for mayor. Uh, Byron Sharper, who used to be a, uh, a colleague of yours, I believe is considering a run for mayor. And there are other names that are out there that haven't officially plugged in yet. Some people have talked about possibility of Bodie White, state representative, uh, state state senator, state now, senator. Uh, Bodie White. 
Uh, who else? Smokey Bourgeois, who's on the council with you. His name has been mentioned. Mayor Pro Tem of the Metro Council, Chandler Loop's name has been mentioned. And I think the biggest thing, if I were working with any of these candidates, and I'm not, but the biggest thing I would encourage them to do is to talk about infrastructure. But you said something to me before uh, we started recording the podcast that is a big deal. And that is because of the state, uh, because of the sales tax increase enacted by the legislature, that could have an impact on any additional taxes that local areas will want to consider. So I'll ask a two part question. One, how would you in, in what facet or in what reality would you encourage infrastructural changes? Part A and part B. Now that this sales tax has been enacted, this tax increase has been enacted, would any bond issue be DOA? Well, there's three components to infrastructure. You have local roads that are controlled by East Baton Rouge Parish. You Mm -hmm. have state roads. And then, of course, you have the interstate system, which is controlled by the federal government. Right. So in the existing green light plan, there were a couple of cases where the city parish said, you know what, we're not going to wait on the state to expand Highland Road between the interstate and airline highway. Even though it's a state road, we're going to use local dollars to pay for it and expand it. Okay. Um, there were a couple other cases in the Greenlight Plan where that happened. Not altogether a bad idea because, hey, look, if the state's not going to step up to the plate or the federal government's not going to step up to the plate, we're going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. If we get reimbursed five years from now for it, great. If we don't, so be it. For okay. the greater good of the community, we're going to do it. So the green light plan, we've seen a tremendous amount of infrastructure improvement. And right. I have, I've yet to meet anybody who can dis, discount the fact that their commute times have gotten better. Absolutely. Over, over the last couple of years. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and when you compare that to the state sales tax increase, you know, you're paying a half cent sales tax mm-hmm. for the green light plan. Right. You're getting some, something tangible. You're getting concrete. You're getting pavement. You're getting new turn lanes. You're Impacts getting, your life. Yes, so I'm willing to pay it. Yeah. I'll pay more than that if yeah. I continue to see the I result. I actually hate taxes, and I agree with you a billion percent. And I told probably a dozen of our state uh, local um, delegation, you raise our state sales tax by a penny. You raise it to maintain the status quo. In theory, we get nothing for it. That's mm-hmm. just to, for you to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. Keep the computers running. Right. That's it. Right. So what they've done, they've taken away, in my opinion, they've taken away our ability, at least over the next two or three years, to really float out a bond issue to the parish and have any success of it passing. You know, the city of Central is at, I think, 10.5% now. Yeah, because we were at 9 and yeah, they, well, we were at 9 but that's now, right. Now we're so at they 10. may be the highest in the nation now. Uh, they're pretty close to it. If they're not the highest, they're Pretty darn wow. close. Wow. Central. Think about that now. Right. <laughs> Compared to all of the other municipalities in America. That's right. So, you know, Joe Public, how great is his desire going to be to vote for another half penny or another penny of sales tax when, one, on April 1st, your sales tax just went up by a penny? You see on the news every day, and you'll see it again this mm-hmm. afternoon, of this potential special session to raise another $750 million. Right. What the heck's going to happen in June or July? Are they going to raise sales taxes again? Are they going to remove more exemptions? What happens on your, on your daily sales, sales tax bill? What happens on your state income taxes? This April, well, not this April, but next April, what's it going to be? 
Y'all so, are not the only one. Joel is thoroughly depressing me, too, with this. <laughs> well, look, I told you before we started, I was that guy during the special session. I mean, I, I emailed, I, I sent text messages, I called. That's what I should our, have been doing Our senators, week. our legislators. I even showed up down there a couple of times and said, look, what the heck are y'all Did doing? Did you have a baseball bat with you no, when you went No, no, but the, the, the mission was, or the message was, cut first. Yeah. Cut everything yeah. you can. Yeah. The second thing was remove every exemption. Absolutely. Clean all the Absolutely. clean the four pennies up before you go add another penny. Absolutely. But and we didn't really do that at all. They cleaned up some, but not all. Oh, he's so kind. <clears throat> he's so kind. <laughs> I, I just uh I I really struggle with it and I know that this hole has been dug systematically for the past eight years. And I think that the reality of today totally destroys, or at least almost totally destroys, any legacy that Bobby Jindal would have hoped to have had as governor of Louisiana. He could possibly go down as the worst governor ever, and that that is a big statement. But it's, and you can't blame him one hundred percent for all of it because there were lawmakers who voted for his budgets. Well, it's funny you said that because just about every legislator I talked to, they and I can put this in quotes. Bobby Jindal put us in this situation. So yeah. whether that's a true fact or whether that's an, an excuse. Well, it's, it's both. It's both. It's a, it's it's a fact, but it's also an excuse with the exception of lawmakers who are now in their freshman you know, class of, of being in the, in the, in the uh, legislature who just got elected is what I'm saying. Everybody else there, many of them had the opportunity to vote for or against the Jindal budget. Now, current governor even, I think, voted for five of Jindal's budgets. Right. So... It's just bad, but here's the thing. He's no longer the governor. Yeah, it's so time to move on. We can't talk move. about the past anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's April now, and so uh, it's, it's discouraging. What would you do or if, if you were in the legislature, not that you'd be crazy enough to want to be in the legislature, but if you were in the legislature, what tact would you take? Knowing that the area that you represent, and again, you're not interested in all, that's not some subtle thing, that's not right. something on your radar, but knowing that the area you represent is made up so largely of people who pay thousands in property taxes and thousands in income taxes, what would be your approach? Well, going back to this last special session, mm-hmm. my message to our local delegation was cut more yeah. first. Yeah. And I know that's a very blanket, generalized statement, but cut the waste, clean up the existing sales tax exemptions yeah. or state income tax yeah. exemptions yeah. before you go to the third option, which was raise revenue. But they went backwards. They wanted to raise revenue first, then they cleaned a few of the pennies, and then they cut a few dollars out of the budget. Mm-hmm. So what happened with the special session when it ended, I think there were $70 million still in the hole. Mm-hmm. So the reality is they had to cut an additional $70 million. I haven't heard the skies falling just yet. So somehow they made it happen. I don't know what they did. Right. And that, that's what we're looking at, I think, for the next fiscal year is you have $750 million. Now, I'm not naive enough to say, Clay, we can't raise any new revenue. I understand oh, sure. that, that probably needs to happen. Absolutely. That was going to happen, and I think every – don't, I didn't believe, and, and I trust what Secretary Kennedy is saying about – cutting waste and finding bloat and, and doing something about exemptions for pe- companies that make hundreds of millions of dollars and pay no taxes to the state. I agree with that. But I knew at some point there was going to have to be an increase. 
It's just the reality. Right. It's like sometimes, you know, people have had jobs and you're maxed out on what you make at your job and maybe your spouse is maxed out. So you go get a part time job until you can, you know, cover whatever needs to be done. And that's how I look at these taxes. There's no more area to cut can't raise revenue anymore uh, or you can't create more revenue without a tax increase. And I didn't hear it. What do you think of John Kennedy and, and what he's been saying? Basically, actually he's been saying it for the last nine years, but what do you think of, of him? I mean, I, I, I've heard what he said, especially over the last year or so about mm-hmm. cutting the wasteful spending. Yeah. Some of the contracts that he's talked about, I mean, it makes complete sense from my standpoint, right? but sitting here in the audience, listening to him talk about it, you know, but not doing it, or the right. legislature not doing, legislature not doing it, or the governor not doing it. You know, it's hard to know not being on the inside, not seeing the uh, how the sausage is made per se. It's interesting uh, to watch this, and then of course all of this talk about raising the state minimum wage. Right. And my feeling on increasing the minimum wage is I don't think people should look at the minimum wage as a living wage, and in terms of. Setting that as the target that we want Louisianans to shoot for. Right. It is, it's entry level by its very nature. It's the minimum that a company can pay someone to be employed in the state. And I think there is a tactful way to prepare people for better through education, through skill set training, all of these things that we encourage people to do. And I've always thought that that subject is hijacked. When people look at the minimum wage as being the best target they can hit. And I think if we encourage people to look at it that way, we're missing the mark. Right. Because the minimum wage is so far away from a living wage. Absolutely. And so if you raise it, you're going to enforce you're going to force employers to start firing people. Right. They're going to find another way. Yeah, absolutely. Or they're going to hire more 15 and 16-year-old kids absolutely. to work for the minimum wage. Which will give us a lot of the service that we're getting in so many places around town. That's right. But, you know, so about that, just lifting the minimum wage. Because it comes up all the time in national and, and often state Yeah, it's uh, a big national topic right now. I know mm-hmm. there's a couple of states and cities. I think Seattle is trying mm-hmm. to raise theirs to $15 an hour. But, right. I mean, every action has a reaction. Yep. So you raise the minimum wage. Businesses will then have to make a decision. Do they continue to, to pay the increased wage? Do they reduce employees? Mm-hmm. Or do they go out of business completely or do they move somewhere else? I mean, there's so many different options that a business could take. Uh, but every action has a reaction, especially when you're forcing an employer to set their wages at a certain level. It you know, affects everything. I was walking into a restaurant here in town a few weeks ago, and I won't say the restaurant, but one of the owners is a, is a buddy. And he was sitting down at a table as said, what's going on? He said, I'm trying to figure what the tax increase is going to do to my sales, understanding that it will have an impact on what you sell in your place, because some people will choose whether it's a restaurant or a department store or whatever. Some people will choose the lesser option to not pay more for it. And it does have an impact. And again, Bringing together business people, average small business owners, and asking them what they think. I think politicians would be surprised at the intellect and the ideas that would come out of a setting like that, don't you? Well, yeah, definitely. Let me give you a good example. I've been looking for a new vehicle in the, in the past few months. 
Not that I necessarily need a new vehicle, but I, I wanted one. a couple one. of guys. I know you do. <laughs> but you know what made my decision? What's that? When they increased the sales tax on April 1st, I said, you know what? I really don't need a new vehicle. Yeah, that's right. I'll stick with what that's, I've got. That's exactly now, right. Now, in the grand scheme of things, you're talking a, a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. So maybe not a big deal. It's a big deal to a lot of people, though. Yeah, it is. But it was enough of a big deal to oh, me. Yeah. That's, you know what? I'm good with what, I, what that's I've what got. The- I'm just going to sit tight. And I'll wait two years. And I that's can right. wait two years. Oh, yeah. People stand pat on spending money. You know, that's right. the thing about earning it yourself. You're not as eager to give it away. Yeah. So I'm curious to see from a net revenue standpoint what this really does. If they see a major impact, I think automobile industry is going to see a huge, I already, huge I, well, impact. As I, as I told you, I know a couple of guys talking about the, uh, the Fabries. And I know managers at other places, too. But they're looking at it. And they knew that on April 1 it was going to have an impact. And so there was a spike, believe it or not, in sales at the end of last month because of that. People knew they wanted to do it. They had to do it. So they wanted to get in before then. But I think like yourself, because see, I'd be that guy. I would be the guy that would say, yeah, I'll wait a little while, you know, mm-hmm. because you like to hold. It's always better. A dollar saved is twice as valuable as a dollar spent right. to me, you know. So Moving on, but go ahead, go ahead. No, but going back to your original question, which I don't think we fully answered, talking about infrastructure. So the green light plan, we've talked for years with the administration, Mayor Holden and and, uh, Daniel, William Daniel, about expanding. might be a candidate for mayor too, by the way. Really? Yeah. Haven't heard that. Yeah. I saw him the other night. He didn't mention that to me. Could be. Could be. (laughs) But expanding on the success of the green light program. Yeah. And I'll give uh, Kip kudos for uh, the brainchild of the Green Light Program. It's been a tremendous asset to the parish. He's built roads. And we wanted to continue that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a master street plan that is far from finished out that we wanted to continue with. So the discussion has gone on about expanding on the Green Light, Mm -hmm. extending another another bond issue to the public to vote on, whether that's for new roads, new bridges, which is a big issue as well, drainage, but putting that back out there. Now we're stuck in this quandary of what do we do? Hmm. We can float it out there, potentially let the people decide, and there's no harm in letting the people decide. Right. But at this point in time, is it the best time of the day or time of the year to put it out there? Probably not because there's, it's such a toxic, a toxic rather atmosphere to taxes because of what is happening on the state level. And again, a lot of this hard conversation is all necessity based on the reality of our state's budget. When the budget grew by $10 billion nearly from the early 2000s to, you know, going into the 2010, and we never adjusted for the federal money that we were going to be losing, it was disaster in the making. You know, it's like I, I equated to someone going out and buying a new car the day after they got fired. It just doesn't <laughs> okay, make sense. It doesn't make sense. Okay, you're going to be maybe you'll make the first note for the next month, maybe the month after that. But unless you get a job or some way to subsidize this thing, it's going to sink you. So, you know, and I'll ask you, I want to before I ask this question, let me preface this again. Joel is not a candidate for this office. He's not thinking about it. This is not some Machiavellian way of going at it. Having said all of that, why were you never interested in being mayor? Four young kids and a family. Enough said. <laughs> Right, said. right position, wrong time. No, <laughs> enough said. <laughs> I can dig it. So, uh, going forward, as you look at Baton Rouge, if someone from another part of the nation were to come here, move into the city, let's say you know you're working with a big company now, just moved to Baton Rouge, they become a colleague of yours, 
and they say, man, you know, I'm thinking about starting a family here. You know, my wife and I are here. How would you describe the Baton Rouge experience to them? My opinion on that has changed over the years and it's probably primarily because of children. So our oldest is nine, our youngest Mm -hmm. are four. So Mm -hmm. four kids between ages of four and nine. So education is a huge issue. And when you talk about the, the mayor president candidates here over the next six, seven months when we hear their platforms come out, even though they have no jurisdiction over education, I'm looking for a mayor that's going to be all in, he, that's going to be involved in the business of Superintendent Drake mm-hmm. in the East, East Baton Rouge Parish School System. Uh, my wife and I are going through the process now. We, we are attempting to get our kids in the magnet program through East Baton Rouge Parish. We are willing to give East Baton Rouge Parish School System our children mm-hmm. to educate under certain circumstances. Yeah, because I was going to say the magnet is a little bit of a different right. reality. And, and like I said, under certain circumstances, right. we're willing right. to give them the opportunity to educate our children. And I think most parents who are honest feel the same way. If you don't feel the same way, something's wrong with you. And, and I know this is radio, so you can't see the gray hair, but I mean, the, the gray hair continues to pop out. <laughs> well, this is radio. Fresh... You can't see the no hair on my head because mine started popping out, not just turning gray, but going away. You know, but there's a high frustration level among parents oh, that yeah. have school-aged kids oh, yeah. of what your options are. And it is extremely difficult mm-hmm. to find a good school option for your children, even if it's private school, even if you have the money oh, yeah. to finance it. It is difficult. You know, there, there's a waiting list at these right. schools. There's oh, a waiting yeah. list at the magnet schools. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, right now we've got four kids that are heading in four different directions next school year unless right. we get some things changed. So, um, that's, that's expensive, man. Yeah, it is. For the average parent paying for private school, you've paid for college a couple times over before your kids graduate high school. Right, right. You know, I look at my brother who lives in Denver and mm. the, the schooling, public school options that they have for their children are just amazing. The types of things that they're doing. How do we fix that here? Well, I met with Superintendent Drake a few months Who ago. Who is a good guy, and he's on the ball. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he understands, and I even told him this. I said, look, if, you're, if you have to turn away students from your magnet programs, mm-hmm. that tells you something. You need to increase capacity. Yep. Now, that's easy for me to say, right. just increase capacity. But there's a demand for the service that can't be filled. Mm-hmm. So let's find a way to fill it. I agree. I agree. So, you know, in a few weeks, I'd like to get you to come back uh, so we could talk about, you know, just some of the other things going on around sure. here and around the state. But as a council member, I think you've you've worked hard and I know personally how hard you've worked. I mean, you rep. I live in the council district that you represent. And Liz, who's over there, who's a rock star. She is. And the only thing I'll say is. Whoever comes in behind you, if they don't keep Liz, there's going to be a whole bucket of hell poured all over them by people in Council District 9. You know, there's a few people that have reached out to me about running for my yes. seat. Yes. And that's the first thing yes. I tell them. So, guys, yes. gals, you guys will be crazy if you yeah. don't keep Liz. Yeah, she's, she's amazing and she's always been amazing. But I just appreciate the fact that you've never changed at all in the eight years now that we've known one another, eight years coming up in a few months because we met Mm -hmm. a few months out from the election. And I think you've worked hard and you've stood your ground and you voted your conscience even when it wasn't the easy, popular decision. And I think a combination of backbone and balls 
are lacking in politics nowadays. And I appreciated the fact that you didn't go with the majority who just weasel out when there is going to be some pressure. So thank right. you for that. Oh, no, you're welcome. We're, we weren't voted into office to abstain from a vote. Right. We weren't voted into office to uh, pick and choose based on emotion. Right. We're there to, to take the facts, take the numbers as we see it, and make mm-hmm. the best, most informed decision that we can. And a few times it hasn't been the popular decision, but it's been the right decision. Well, I tell you, it's lacking often. There are people who vote character and conscience, but it's they're not enough of them. Because if there were more of them, we wouldn't have some of the troubles that we have right now. Right, right. And if you look at the presidential election, all you can do is... That's the sound of me hitting my forehead with my hand because it's like, oh, dear God, (laughs) 317 million people. And this is what we have. Yep, these are the options we have. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. Seems like we could have a few better options. I'm just saying, maybe, maybe. I would hope so. I think, you know, great, great possibility that the the next commander in chief could have the last name Trump. Have you prepared yourself for that reality? (laughs) I'll tell you what I prepared for. I prepared to vote for whoever the Republican nominee is. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure who the last man standing will be, but that's what I'm prepared to do. It could be somebody not even running. All right, I'm I'm getting the signal that time is up here. Metro Council member Joel Bowie, thanks for coming on again, man. Thanks for having me. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. I always enjoy talking to Joel. He's been a friend. I remember the first time I met him, a mutual friend of ours, Jason Doeys, brought him, called me about it uh, to tell me that he was considering the council seat that was opening up, and he asked to meet, and he brought him by the house, and we got a chance to sit down and talk, and I liked the guy because he just, then, and the same is true now, he didn't seem interested in being a politician. It just, it just didn't, and that's so rare, and he's been the same guy. So here's hoping he's not done with public service in elected office, but uh, it's been, uh, it's, he's, he's been a good councilman, and he has stood by his principles, and we talked about that a little bit in the interview. He's taken on some fire, but it hasn't changed him, and we appreciate him being on the show again. All right, one more reminder. Smoke em If You Got em is Sunday, May 15th. 5 o'clock at Ben 77 Bistro in Baton Rouge. You can get tickets at the door on the day of the event, or you can get them at the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation's website. They are the organization being benefited by this year's event, chriskylefrogfoundation.org or patriotsforfreedom.us. Hopefully we will see you there. As always, with this show, you can hit the subscribe button, and get it there in your podcast app for Apple users, or you can download the Talk 107.3 app there, or you can get them at podcast, that is, 225.com, and who knows, maybe there's an app for that on the way. You never know. Next week's show, 
will be a sneak peek of something coming to podcast225.com. You'll get a chance to check that out next week. Thank you guys again for listening. Hopefully we'll catch you at Smoke'em this year. Don't forget, if you want to get a ticket, get it now at chriskylefrogfoundation.org or patriotsforfreedom.us. Until next week, take care of yourselves and the ones around you. And I'll see you next time on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.